Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. I'm turning this afternoon to the book of Ephesians, the third chapter. Last night I gave you Sunday night at Conyers a few weeks ago. Today I just feel like giving you this past Sunday morning at Conyers. Is that all right? Last couple maybe Sunday mornings, but I do feel it on my heart and so I will do my best to deliver it to you. I'd like to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 3 with verse number 14. <clears throat> Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and, the, and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And the church say, Amen. I'd like to just talk to you for a little while today about comprehending the incomprehensible. Comprehending the incomprehensible. That you may be able to comprehend with all saints. God bless you today. You may be seated. The epistle to the Ephesians is one of my personal favorites. I don't guess you're supposed to have a favorite book in the Bible. And uh, really, I say that uh, in one sense, although they're all my favorite, but not because the others are unimportant, but because the book of Ephesians contains so many high and lofty themes that the apostle breaks down for us. It has been called by some Bible scholars the epistle of the heavenlies because it just seems like Paul ascends to great heights uh, dealing with spiritual matters and it is laced with so many superlatives and grandiose expressions. Amen. And uh, what makes it more remarkable is the fact that Paul is writing this epistle from prison. Uh, he is 
not in some nice and comfortable quarters, a nice little uh, a resort or a lodge in, uh, you know, some, some nice picturesque environment uh, and everything uh, being taken care of like we have been taken care of the last couple of days. But he is writing from a very uh, gloomy uh, place and environment. I guarantee you they were not nearly as concerned back then in these parts with the comfort of the prisoners as we might be in liberal thinking America. And it was probably very dark, very smelly, uh, all kinds of bugs and critters crawling around, the stench of human excrement and filth all around him and uh, the cursings and the groans of other prisoners. No telling uh, what was around Paul as he is writing this. And yet, somehow, in the midst of all of that, although his body was imprisoned, his mind and his spirit was soaring into the realm of the divine. I'm telling you, I don't care what you're going through and what's happening or what where you live or what your surroundings and circumstances are, your spirit can still be raised up. Paul speaks in the second chapter about being raised up and made to sit together in heavenly places. Uh, you know, this isn't something that he decided to wait until he was out of there before he would write about it. But right there in prison, he talks about being raised up and made to sit together in heavenly places. Praise the Lord. If he could feel that way in prison, surely we can feel that way in church here this afternoon. We could feel exalted and elevated in that environment he was in. Surely we can have our spirits lifted here today. It wouldn't take much effort if we just uh, try a little bit. Uh, you know, let me, let me just uh, sidestep my lesson here for just a second and say, that there's a lot of folks that they would get something from church if they would learn one simple exercise. And yet I've seen folks that simply cannot do this one simple exercise. And it's this right here. They'd rather stand there all depressed and gloomy and feeling sorry for themselves. But if you'd get your hands up a little bit, there's no telling what God could do for you. Even here yet today, the Bible said he's not far from any of us. He's not far from any of us. Why don't you try it for just a second? Lift your hands to him and worship him a little. Oh, it'll make you feel tons better. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. If I can just tag in a little bit to what we were preaching here last night, I'm tired of folks coming to church and saying, I didn't get nothing out of service. Why don't you put a little something into it? Just put a little effort into reaching out to him. If you'll seek for him with all your heart, he will be found of you. You came determined to be discouraged. It don't matter what song we sing or what we preach, you're going to leave here discouraged. I'm glad I'm in the right place here today. 
Even John on the Isle of Patmos, and Elder Morton talked about it the other night, even John on the Isle of Patmos exiled the only survivor of the original apostles, and having endured and seen much, and he didn't get to that point because they didn't try to kill him. Uh, historians say they tried to boil him in oil. He had suffered much, but he wasn't gloomy and feeling sorry for himself. On He got in the spirit on the Lord's day. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter where you are. Your spirit can soar. How many of you housewives know that just standing at the sink washing dishes, just start singing a little song, one of the songs of Zion, and the next thing you know, tears of joy are flowing down your face, driving your car down the road. Start. You may not be able to uh, carry a tune in the bucket. They may have never invited you to sing a special, but it don't matter whether you're on key or on tune. Just a song starts boiling up, and the next thing you know, you're being lifted up into heavenly places. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise God. But uh, here is Paul in prison, and he is writing such high and lofty themes. Makes me think of this uh, physicist by the name of Stephen Hawking's. Stephen Hawking's is recognized one of the greatest uh, physicists of our time. He is the Albert Einstein of our day, and yet he has a body that is completely crippled by advancing neurosclerosis so that he cannot do anything at all for himself. He cannot even speak. He has to communicate through a machine that he, with just the one hand that can still uh, work a little bit, he can input some uh, movements into this machine and there is a a, a, a uh, artificial voice that speaks for him. And through that means he dictates the books that he writes and his mind is exploring constantly quantum physics and things that would just make our eyes cross and our little amp and a half fuse blow. But, but uh, Stephen Hawking, Hawking, uh, Hawking's might be in this uh, wheelchair all crippled up and he looks uh, pretty horrible to look at, but his mind is free. It doesn't matter what's happening to you today. Your spirit can still be lifted up. You following me so far? That's not my message. That's not my lesson, but I just want to say that. So here Paul is in prison. And in prison, this is what he writes. For this cause, I bow my knee. Paul was bowing his knees in prison and praying for the saints at the church in Ephesus. And he had some things that he was praying for them about. And he goes on to talk about it, and we'll deal with a couple of things here in just a moment. But I thought how ironic it was that here Paul is in prison, and yet he is bowing his knees in prayer for those who are not in prison. For those that are in the church, people should have been praying for him. And yet here he is praying for them. I thank God for a faithful apostolic ministry. That no matter what they're going through, they're still interested and concerned about the spiritual well-being of the people that God has made them an overseer of. You all hearing me today? You know what? A lot of times people don't think about what the pastor's going through when they pick up the phone to call him. 
They don't stop to think if it's a convenient time to bombard them with the fact that their car just broke down. Uh, they may not realize that he might not be feeling well in his body when they call and they ask prayer for healing for themselves. Praise the Lord. And uh, a, a, the ministry is constantly expected to provide strength and direction and uh, uh, inspiration and encouragement. Always have some good, positive, inspiring thing to say when a lot of times they're the ones that need strength. A lot of times they're the ones that need encouragement. And again, this isn't my message, but I'm just going to throw this in. as like they say in Louisiana for Lanyap. This is free. This is extra. Amen. Sometimes they're the ones that need a little inspiration. They're the ones that need a little lifting up. I think about this actor and comedian that just committed suicide a couple weeks ago. Considered one of, you know, according to what I read, one of the funniest men uh, in uh, modern entertainment business. And no doubt everywhere he went, he was expected to be funny, to say something funny, to lift people's spirits, and to be comical, and to help people out of their dull drums. But nobody knew that he was dying inside, that he uh, was completely overwhelmed with his own uh, situation internally, and, and he couldn't communicate that because people were completely uh, always expecting uh, him to be at his best. And, and I know pastor friends that have gone through terrible crises and, and, and situations in their own personal lives, and they come to church and they walk to the pulpit and they are hurting inside. They are suffering the agonies of the damned. And yet people are sitting there saying, you better feed me. You better give me something good. You better inspire me. You better encourage me. Sometimes the preacher needs help. Sometimes the pastor needs prayer. Praise the Lord. One pastor friend that I know of, while he was trying to deal with the loss of two children, two children within one year's time, went through a major church upheaval and people trying to split his... Nobody concerned about what he and his wife and family were going through. They were just concerned about their rights and their wants and their wishes and their needs. Praise God. Amen. Again, this isn't my message, but go ahead and take it. Sometimes you need to be aware of your own leadership's needs. Doesn't hurt to offer a word of encouragement to them sometimes. Doesn't hurt to uh, go and give them a little inspiration sometimes. Amen. This terrible tragedy that hit the Bass family uh, a month or so ago, five or six weeks ago. Amen. I was on my way home from preaching a meeting in, in South Carolina, when, or North Carolina rather, when uh, I got the first text that this uh, accident had taken place and that the young man was unresponsive. And, of course, I started praying right away, driving down the road, oh, God, please intervene, make a way. But it wasn't long before I started uh, uh, getting the, uh, the clear indication that he had not survived. And so my prayers turned to his parents and grandparents and the awful heartache that they were experiencing right then. And at the time that I found out that he had not survived, uh, the immediate parents still had not learned of it. And so I was praying that God would sustain them. But, you know, and, 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 and they have. But, 
But you know, then a week later, he has to get in the pulpit and get up and preach to his congregation because they need to hear from God. Amen. And, and I was requesting prayer at our church in Conyers. Let's pray that God will touch Brother Tim Bass and help him today when he stands behind the pulpit and bless him with a special anointing because they are grieving. They are dying inside. They've been through a terrible trauma, and yet they've got to be up there and trying to help lift other people. You know, don't be so selfish when you come to church and think it's all about you and me, me, me and my wants and my needs and my problems and my situations. Let's come to church to be a blessing. To lift each other up. Help each other. Encourage one another. Edify one another. Praise God. Amen. But Paul said, I'm going to bow my knees and I'm going to pray for you because there's some things that I want you to understand and to comprehend. And in the verse uh, 18, he said, he said, the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Uh, you know, in that verse, if you just isolate that verse, he does not say specifically what, the, what, what he wants them to, uh, to catch the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And the next verse, he does say something, but I believe that that verse is isolated because it applies to any aspect of God that you can come up with. Anything about the attributes or the nature or the power or the ability of God that you want to consider, amen, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth is immeasurable. It is without dimensions. Praise the Lord. Everything we know about God is vast and it is indefinable. And we would need scales and we would need systems and a vocabulary that is not known to man to be able to begin to comprehend, amen, the hugeness and the greatness of God. But Paul said, I'm going to get down on my knees here in prison and pray that your mind begins to stretch and your understanding begins to enlarge and for you to begin to comprehend what is the breadth and what is the length and what is the depth and what is the height of what? Anything. So that you will know that God is a lot bigger than anything that you're dealing with right now. Can you just bear with me a little while here today? Let's talk about, for instance, his creative works. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but let's consider it a little bit. Amen. This solar system that we are a part of uh, is, uh, is also a part of a galaxy that is called the Milky Way. You already know that. And yet uh, the Milky Way, they say, and I read this, the Milky Way has from 200 to 400 Billion stars in it. Y'all get that? From 200 to 400 billion, with a B, stars. Most of them much larger than our own sun. They are spread apart through uh, the uh, space uh, in terms of millions of light years. Praise God. Now, the distance is so vast that they use a light year to determine 
the distance between these stars and these solar systems. And yet a light year, as you know, is the distance that light travels in the course of a year at the speed of 186,000 miles per, not hour, second, second. That translates to, over the course of a year, almost six trillion, with a T, miles. Almost six trillion miles. We measure the space here in, uh, on the floor with feet and with yards. Out in space, they measure it. One unit of measurement is a light year. And yet we're talking about almost six trillion miles just one unit. And these stars are spread apart from each other. They say millions of these light years. That begins to tell you how much space is out there. Just in our own galaxy. Now get this. They also say that the Milky Way is only one of over 200 billion galaxies each of those billion galaxies having in themselves millions and more billions of stars who are also extraordinarily large in size and spread across the vast expanse of the heavens praise god 200 billion galaxies containing Billions of stars across the universe. Amen. The visible universe has a diameter of 93 billion light years. This is just the visible uh, universe. Because the more that they uh, make uh, more powerful telescopes and measuring devices, the, the more that they see. They put the Hubble telescope up there to see the edge of the universe. And once they got it up there and finally got it focused, they saw that there was just a whole lot more to the universe than what they had thought. And if they ever put anything out there more powerful than the Hubble telescope, it will show them that there's a whole lot more also. Galaxies that appear to us as being just one single pinpoint of light in the night sky and yet is comprised of billions of stars encompassing many billions of light years in distance. That's how vast the universe that my God, who we were worshiping here today, has created. Praise the Lord. And yet here's what my Bible says about him. He spread out the heavens as a curtain. It was no big deal for him to make all of that universe. And he spread it out, the Bible said, uh, as a tent for him to dwell in. The heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Uh, now, I know your little computers just fizzled out, but, but hear me here today. And then the Bible said he measured it with a span. Man can only measure with light years. After God made all of that, he puts his uh, thumb and little pinky out there, and he measures it with a span. 
Praise God. And, and uh, you say, what's this got to do with the price of beans? Amen. You know, I've, all, I've often wondered about why God would make so many stars and so many galaxies out there that we can't even see and we can't even appreciate. It would satisfy me if there was just a moon and a few stars up in the sky. It wouldn't matter to me if there were billions of light uh, of galaxies with billions of stars and billions of light years it wouldn't matter at all amen we can't even appreciate it our eyes cannot even see it we do not have the capacity to appreciate what god has made amen and yet uh, i believe that god has done it in part so that he will know amen he has such vast reserves of power and strength he can make things we can never appreciate just because he can praise the Lord and then consider what he's going to do in the future what he's going to do in the future and I read in the New Testament uh, in the book of Revelation and my youngest son and I were talking about this the other day and it speaks about the new Jerusalem and according to the figures that we have in, uh, in the Bible about the New Jerusalem and uh, the measurements that are given, uh, as you know, it's approximately 1,500 miles long. Now, I grew up in what is today the ninth largest city in the world. And we're going somewhere, so just bear with me. Amen. The ninth largest city in the world. Those of you that have flown into Sao Paulo, Brazil, know that as you're landing, it stretches from horizon to horizon. Am I right, Brother Holmes? I mean, everywhere you can, and we're not talking about just houses. We're talking about high-rise buildings as far as the eye can see. The Atlanta metro area is a large area, but it's got one central area where the high-rise buildings are. And everything else is just, but Sao Paulo, Brazil is high-rise buildings as far as the eye can see in any direction as you are landing. It is a vast, vast city, and it's only the ninth largest in the world today. But that's the metropolis that I grew up in. But this city that we're talking about is a thousand 500 miles long. It would stretch from here to halfway through the state of Nebraska. That's how far this city goes in one direction. And then it's 1,500 miles the other direction so that it occupies a tremendous amount of real estate, just one city. But here's the mind blower. It's not just 1,500 miles this way and that way, but it's 1,500 miles that way. Praise God. Now the space shuttle orbit orbited the earth at approximately 300 miles above the earth's surface. We're talking about five times that is the height of this city. Now, I don't understand that because our, our concept of what we understand nowadays, uh, we can't fathom something that's that, you know, that high. What, what, what's going to be in all of that height? And, and I read that uh, if you were to build a skyscraper that would be as tall as the height of that city, and you used floors that were 12 feet high as a measurement, it would be a high-rise building with 660 
thousand floors going straight up. That's the new Jerusalem that John saw coming down from God out of heaven. I also read that if you were standing 5,000 miles away from it, it would appear to be 130 times larger than our moon. That for it to look the same size as the moon, you would have to be 160,000 miles away from it to see it the same size as our moon. Hallelujah. That's the city that God has prepared for his people. But that's not all, folks. Uh, somebody said, you mean as big as that is, is that all there is to heaven? No, here's how I see it. Uh, I think that's just a capital city. Because Jesus said there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to wipe all this out that he's already made, and he's going to make something bigger and better. And I believe that the universe that he is going to create in the future is going to be even more big and more vast than the one that we know about now. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're following me here today. And, and so I believe that whenever we have our new bodies, we will be able to move with rapid uh, speed through space. We're not going to be bound by time and space like we are now. That's just my imagination working. That's not doctrine. Please, please don't quote me. Uh, as, as Brother Alviar said, the Holy, Ghost, no, the Holy Ghost didn't tell me to say that. That's just me talking because I believe that God always exceeds what he's done before. And so I believe that the heaven that is yet to come is going to be more vast than anything that, that is known to man today. You know how they measure the universe today? They look out there with high-powered equipment and they take just a tiny slice of what they can see of the universe. And they try to count up what they see in that little slice and then they try to multiply it. Like looking at one degree of a compass and then multiplying it by 360 all the way around and all the way around this way to get the figures that they have. But there's no way that these little human finite brains of ours can comprehend, can comprehend the vastness of that universe. And then you think about the earth that God made. And they, there are all kinds of scientific fields that are studying the earth, whether it is metallurgy or whether it's rocks and, uh, and uh, strata of the earth and whether it is vegetation or, or, or liquids or other types of metals and, and, and products and ingredients. All of the things that are going into high-powered computers that we are using today, that they are using in Silicon Valley and all those were in the ground all along. God put them there a long time ago when He made the heavens and the earth. They're not coming up with stuff that was never there, they're using stuff that was already there. I also read that only one and a half percent of all of the vegetation in the Amazon jungle alone has ever been fully studied for its medicinal value. I believe that there are the, that there is the cure to every 
disease known to man contained in the vegetation that is in the Amazon jungle, but only one and a half percent of it has been studied for its medicinal value. Amen. God put all of that in here. Then no scientific field has reached a point where they say, all right, we've, we've bottomed out. We've reached the limit. We've learned it all. There's nothing more to learn. No, as knowledge increases, it's increasing exponentially. And yet the more that they learn, the more they realize was there. All of it was made by the God that we are worshiping and that we are serving today. Paul said, I want you to understand how big he is. How high, how low, how wide, how long that God is. Praise the Lord. And, and again, we might think, well, what's this got to do with anything? What my Bible says in Psalms chapter 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Praise the Lord. I have never seen God, and you have never seen God. God is invisible, but we understand a little about him by his handiwork. We see what he's already done, and that gives us a little concept of his nature and of his greatness. Praise the Lord. I can look around here, and I can tell you without, uh, even the first time that I came, without knowing Brother Davies very well, that this is a man who pays attention to detail. Because everything is so neat and so clean and so precise. They pay attention. You can tell about somebody's nature by their handiwork, by what they do. And you can look at, a, at the craftsmanship and you can tell a lot about the craftsmen. I can't see God, but just knowing some of these things about his bigness and his vastness, amen, and the great expanse that God has made and the intricacies that he has built into nature, they tell me something about God. They tell me something about God. And Paul on his knees in the prison cell, amen, is praying. I want you to understand and to comprehend with all saints the length, the breadth, the height, the depth. There's big stuff here. And all through this epistle are laced expressions like you read here in this one verse 16, uh, or, or excuse me, uh, where it speaks about the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory. And in chapter 1, then you see where he wrote, uh, and the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness here's a superlative the exceeding greatness of his power we've already talked a little bit about how great his power is but it's not just about galaxies and it's not just about solar systems and it's not just about the heavenly bodies that he has made he's made all of that to show you something to instill something in you to program something into your mind if he's put all of that energy, if he's put all of that power, if he's put all of that ability into making things that you cannot even see or appreciate and making things that he is going to wipe away and take away someday, how much more will he not direct that power? 
to you and to me the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe. It's time for you to get your head up. It's time for you to quit wallowing in your self-pity and in your doubt and unbelief. God stands ready to put all of his resources into helping you make heaven your home. Praise God. So then chapter 2, chapter 2 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We're in in time past. And here comes the sad story. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We could say a lot about that. Among whom also we all had our conversation or behavior or lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. End of story. Sad ending. Amen. You're locked in. There's nothing you can do. There's no way you can pull yourself out. There's no rehab center that will change this story. There's nobody that can change it. Nobody has the power. Nobody has the ability. But the next two words thunder out of Scripture when it says, But God. But God. But God. Oh, sit there all bored and indifferent. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. He loved you so much that even when you were without strength, even when you had nothing to offer, even when you had nothing going for you, even when nobody else believed in you, even when everybody was against you, God, who is rich, he is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And then the verse that we've already referred to. And hath raised us up and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this is not just some little elevated place. You want to know where Christ Jesus is? You've got to read the last part of chapter 1. He hath wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's where he sits, far above all principality. You can walk in here all beat down, the devil after you all day, but God can raise you up. And make you sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and put the devil under your feet so you can run the aisles, so you can live, leap for joy, so you can magnify him, so you can leave with a victory in your heart.
Praise God. Amen. I don't know what your concept of mercy and God's goodness is, but it is vast. It's universe vast. It's, it, it's bigger than anything you can imagine. Let me tell you how big it is. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. You can't even appreciate it all right here. We can talk about it and preach about it, and you're just going like a, like a mule staring at a new gate. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But you can't comprehend it all. Your little brains can't figure it all out because you can't see what God has done for you all, all, all your life up to this point, even before you ever bowed your knee, how God followed your trail, how God worked in your life, how God put this in motion and, and put that peace in place. Amen. And so that only in the ages to come, in the ages to come, in the thousands of years to come, as we are in the presence of God, are we going to be saying, oh, I see. Oh, wow. You mean that was God there? You mean that was God over here? You mean God did this? Yeah, God's doing that. He's doing that for you right now. The riches of his grace. His grace is greater than anything you can comprehend. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It, it's, it's bigger than our biases and prejudices sometimes when a backslider that's been in and out half a dozen times is kneeling at the altar. And, and we're quick to say, oh, they're not going to make it anyway. Why even bother to pray? But his grace, is without dimensions. There is no ceiling to it. There's no walls to it. There's no floor to it. Amen. You can't find the height, the depth, the length, the breadth. It is, it is unknowable. It, it is uh, incomprehensible. Why has God given her a chance? She's just an old reed tread. We'll pray and cry and snotting around, and she'll last just a couple weeks, and out she'll go again. Why are we even wasting time with this man over here? Because we prayed for him so many times. We don't comprehend the vastness of his grace. And for that matter, amen, if it wasn't, none of us would be here today. Before you're so quick to look down your nose at somebody else, we are all the recipients of his mercy and of his grace. Vast, brother, vast, incomprehensible, vast, that you may comprehend with all the saints, amen, what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. There's no system of measurement that can measure it. There's no scales that can measure it. It's unknowable. It's indefinable. The love of Christ. God loves me more than you can possibly comprehend. 
Something I've told young folks down through the years when preaching youth meetings is this. I want them to understand that God loves them more than they can ever possibly know. And the second thing is that God wants them to make it more than they can possibly understand. That, you know, some people think about God as this tyrannical being who is ready to squash them like a bug every time they stumble or mess up or make a mistake. I'm so glad it's not that way or I would have been a goner a long time ago. God really does love you. His love is exceedingly vast. He makes big things so that you can understand just like my creative power is big and vast. So is my love. So is my mercy. So is my grace. Oh, I can hear it already. I can hear it all. The Pharisees are talking already. Oh, better be careful, Brother Alviar. You'll go off the deep end. Talking about mercy and grace. I'm not talking about glossing over sin. I'm not talking about excusing failure. I've tried to help a lot of folks through the years that were told by somebody along the way they had sinned the unpardonable sin and they don't even have any confidence to pray. They gave up on themselves a long time ago. You can stand or sit. Don't make me no difference. It's just Sunday morning at Conyers. Sit down if you want to. Amen. But this is what I believe. I know that there is an unpardonable sin. I know there is a sin that God won't forgive. But if you want me to define it, I have a hard time defining it. And maybe I've said this before here, but, but it bears repeating. Because we're all so quick to give up on ourselves and feel like if we stumble and fail, it's all over. I'm not excusing failure. I'm not excusing falling. Hallelujah. Amen. And yet we serve a big God. You know the sins that are unforgivable for the most part? They are the sins that are not repented of. You know why a lot of folks, amen, cannot get their sins forgiven? Because they have convinced themselves that God won't forgive them. So they won't even come to an altar and pray. Fall out with me if you want to, but here's what I believe. If they're on the pew, there's hope for them. I said if they're on the pew, there's hope for them. I know it's possible for reprobates to come to church just to cause trouble and all that, and you let the Word of God dig them out. But when there's backsliders and sinners sitting on a pew, I don't care where they've gone, what they've done, how low they've sunk. If they're on the pew, it's because God is ready to help them. I'm going to preach to them as though this might be the time. This might be the day. You know why a reprobate can't get forgiven? Because he won't pray. He'll never bow his knee. He's too proud and too arrogant. 
he justifies himself. He excuses himself. He says, my sin isn't as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as the hypocrites in the church that I know. I haven't done what sister so-and-so's done, and I haven't been where brother so-and-so's been. And so if, 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 if I'm wrong, then they're wrong too. And, and, uh, and they justify themselves, and there's no humility in them, and they don't know how to bow their knee and surrender and humble themselves before God. But here's what I believe. I don't care who you are and how far you've gone. If you can make your way down to an altar. If you can just make your way to an altar. And bow your knee. And say God have mercy on me. My Bible still says they that come to him. He will in no wise cast out. Lift your hands and talk to the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost working here today. And again, as many times as I've been here, I'm sure I've probably said this at one time or another, but as far as I'm concerned, amen, it would, you would be hard-pressed to find much difference between what Judas did and what Peter did on that fateful night. One betrayed him and one denied him. You can split those hairs all day long if you want to. Amen. But the main difference between Peter and Judas was that Judas went out and hung himself. But Peter fell at Jesus' feet. Allowing Jesus to ask the question, Peter, do you love me? I hope none of these young people, amen, get fenced in by the devil like we heard preached yesterday in any way. Praise the Lord, I hope it never happens to you uh, and that you never have to know what that feels like. But if it does, and, and I'm not trying to circumvent that message in no way, but if it does happen, the worst thing you can do is just decide, well, I failed God. I might as well stay out here now. I don't care what you've done. There's some things you can't undo. There's some things you can't fix. But there's one thing you can do. You can repent. And God can forgive you. Because his love is more vast in the universe. Praise God, hallelujah, that you may know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Which passeth knowledge. 
Look at him. They got tattoos all over him. Look at him. They've got piercings all over. Look at him. They smell. They stink. Look at him. This, and you know, we're ready to quit and give up on people. But God, who is rich in mercy, and he's got so much grace, it's going to take ages to come for us to fully understand and appreciate it. And he's got so much love that it passes knowledge. He can say, come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's still hope for your backslidden children. There's still hope for your unsaved companion. There's still hope for your extended family members that have walked out on God. Even if they have rebelled, even if they have caused a mess, even if they have committed horrible sins, if they can find it in themselves to repent, God is able to forgive them. But here's the good part, and that is that not only is his love sufficient, amen, to restore you when you stumble and when you fail, but his love is also big and strong enough to keep you from falling. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. For as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want to be saved, if you want to make it, you can be. His love is vast. It's bigger than any force you will ever encounter. Come on, everybody, clap your hands unto the Lord today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm just trying to give some people hope here today. Just trying to give some people hope. Even if you have failed God, if you have repented, God has forgiven you. It's time to quit beating yourself up. It's time to start shouting the victory. It's time to start running the aisles. It's time to start thanking God for giving you another chance. Just a few more minutes, and I'm going to close or quit here today. Amen. But the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And he said that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How in the world can you be filled with all the fullness of God when the heaven of heavens is not enough to contain him? The Bible says all of that vast distance that is measured in units of almost six 
trillion miles and God fills all in all. How can we be filled with all the fullness of God? Amen. I know that it is in one sense impossible. The Bible in the same chapter speaks about the unsearchable riches of Christ that Paul was enabled to preach to the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches of Christ. This doesn't mean you can't find it. It just means you can't find the limit of it. It's not tracked out. It's not been fully charted. It's not been fully mapped. Amen. There is always more and more. This is what allows you to come to church and it just gets better and better and better. Amen. I feel sorry for folks that they got bored with church years ago. They're tired of the same old songs. They're tired of the same. I still enjoy hearing the preach word. There's always something new and something fresh. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I was sitting in a meeting just a month or two ago, and, and my good friend, Elder uh, James Gross, was up teaching one of the finest Bible teachers that I know, and he was teaching about, about Christ, and he was just preaching Christ all the way through the Scriptures. And, and you know, a lot of it I had heard before, but, but I'm t- there was stuff that is just like my eyes go, bing, and, and, and after a while you just, you just go, and tears are running down our face and our hands are raised and lifted up as we just think about. When David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. That doesn't mean we make him bigger. He's bigger than what we, but that means we enlarge our, our comprehension of him. Our knowledge of him gets bigger. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The more I hear about him, the more it thrills me. The more it excites me. Church never gets boring. Preaching never gets boring. Bible class never gets boring. It's always like an, oh, I see moment. My middle son was that way. He asked a zillion questions. He was our Mariah. He asked all kinds of questions. He still asks questions. He still... uh, bounces hypotheticals off of me. Sometimes I just want to eat my lunch. And he starts, he starts hitting me with all these hot, and I just, shut up, son, let me eat. But what if, Dad, and, and, and you know, and what about, and on and on. But when he was just a boy, the smallest little task, what are you doing that for? He'd go, what are you doing that for? And I'd explain it. Oh, oh I see, but why are you doing that for? And I'd have to explain the next level and the next, and then, oh, I see. And he'd, he'd almost spit when he'd say, I see. Amen. And, and, and that's the way I feel in church a lot when the word of God is going forth and God just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, oh, I see. I'm telling you, God has committed himself to our success, to our reaching our goal, to our making heaven our home. He's bigger than your problems. Let's kick the walls out of your concept of God. 
He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your situation. And my Bible still says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. I'm glad his riches in glory do not fluctuate with the stock market. I'm glad it doesn't go up and down like the graph of the economy. Up one day and down the next. His resources are vast. They have never been exhausted. You've never even begun to dip into them. And somebody's thinking right now, well, I wish he'd go ahead and share some of it with me then. Or at least let me win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes so I don't have to keep ordering all these magazine subscriptions. Remember those? Praise the Lord. Or sneaking around and playing the Powerball hoping you win. Amen. I told our folks, if you slip around, play the Powerball, and win, it's not 10%. Ties is 20. <laughs> the rest is sin tax. But you know what they'd probably do, Brother Holmes? They'd change churches and just pay 10 somewhere else. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. And we're, But you know what? God is still able to supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. I don't know what the future holds, but I tell you what, we took a, a problem situation, a crisis church three and a half years ago, and honestly, we are fighting for our survival every single month. And I'm not saying that for any pity or any other reason, no other hidden motive. I'm just saying we're fighting for our very survival every single month. And I do not know to this day how we have survived Till now, I can't tell you the number of times my secretary has come uh, has communicated with me saying we do not have enough this month to make mortgages. We do not have enough to pay our bills, and well, we're going to pray. And I don't even know where it comes from, but all of a sudden, there it is. And somehow, we're still on our feet. We may lose everything next month, but you know what? If we do, though the fig tree shall not blossom, and the presses uh, they are devoid of wine or any of the good stuff is all gone, you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep on praising the Lord. If the bank takes it all, we'll rent a place and keep having church because he's still a good God. But I know he is able. He is able. I'm quitting. I'm almost done. Amen. They're bombarding me with heavy stuff right now. I smell coffee. I smell coffee. That's not even fair. That's cheating. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. But right here in this passage, Paul down on his knees saying, I want you to comprehend the love of God that passeth knowledge. And then he says, now unto him who is able, and I like to work that verse like an upside-down wedding cake. He is able to do what you ask. That ought to be good enough right there, right? He is able to do what you ask. But it doesn't just say that. Because a lot of times we get timid and bashful and we think we're imposing on God, so we ask what we think we should ask, but we think something more than that. And so he is able to do what you ask and think. But that's not all. 
He is able to do all that you ask and think. Done deal. But he is able to do above all that you ask and think. Isn't that great? It's still not finished. He is able to do abundantly above all that you ask and think. Woo! Shouting time now, right? He's still not done. Throw another superlative into the mix. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask and think. I serve a mighty big God. But here is the caveat, and here is the condition. That's, it doesn't end with that. It says, according to the power that worketh in us. If you come here all depressed and gloomy and feeling sorry for yourself, I'm just going to tell you, ain't nothing going to happen. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Somehow or another, you've got to get a hold of a message like this and buy into it. And let it spring faith into your mind and into your heart. And when that power begins to work in you. Because that's one of the things Paul also prayed for. He said, amen, that, uh, uh, that he is able also to strengthen us with might by his spirit in the inner man. When you are at your lowest low, when you are at your weakest, when you're at your most vulnerable, that supernatural power can come, amen, and fill you up and get you back on your feet. And you get that power working. And that's when this verse can start to happen. And I'm going to say, again here this afternoon, even though we're in a go-home mode right now, somebody could get healed right now, right now, in the next 60 seconds in this room. As the musicians come, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Oh, God, help them to understand how big you are, how high, how low, how long, how broad, how great your power is. You can help them to understand, God. I feel like praying that prayer myself because I'm going to say it again, too. I find over and over in my Bible where the Bible said that multitudes of those that were sick and possessed with devils were brought into him and he healed them. Boy, that was weak. I can see how low our faith is. Sit down, I'm going to start all over again. And he healed them. And he healed them. And he healed them. 
I know we've done prayer lines and we've done all of this stuff and all of that is valid, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings none if right here in the next few seconds a wave would blow through here from glory and heal everything in the house. If he can build galaxies that I can't even see, he can do it. He can do it. Right where you stand, if it's appropriate, reach over and pray with somebody right where you are. Come on. It might be a sickness. It might be a family problem. Might be a marriage crisis. Might be a job situation. Might be a financial need. Might be a spiritual trial they're going through. But God, God can solve every problem in this house. God can supply every need in this house. God can heal every sickness in this house. Come on, pray, pray, pray. I want you to comprehend with all the saints how big he is. He's big. He's big. He's big. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God has promised to me. Standing my ground on his word, I believe. Devil can't stop me, blessings on the way. Oh, hallelujah. If you feel like it now, you can make your way to the front and just get close to God. And just come down here and worship him. Come down here and worship him. Don't ask him for nothing. Just come down here and praise him. Just come down here and praise him. Oh, hallelujah. Worship this big God. Praise this big God. Claiming my promise today. Claiming my promise, God has promised to me. Stand